Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We're also going to be kicking off a new series where we dig into each live-action incarnation of Spider-Man on the big screen. And just to spice it up, we're going to go in reverse chronological order. So today's Spider-Man special will focus on the MCU Tom Holland version. And here to help us talk about Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home is Alejandro Ramos. Hey, how's it going? Great to be here. It is your first time on the show. We finally got you. I know, right? It's been a long time coming. And you're a big Spider-Man fan? Yeah, pretty much. Fantastic. Just a little bit. Awesome. So we'll definitely, I mean, obviously, you're here for this episode. And potentially, we'll be able to grab you for the next two. We <laughs> talk about the Amazing Spider-Man version and then the Raimi films. Oh, that'd be fun. some news did you guys know the mtv awards happened this past weekend yeah i think i saw something about that but i don't know who won anything because i did not know that was happening <laughs> yeah i i also saw something and i thought it was still coming up not that it happened <laughs> yeah they usually do it later i guess that was also a thing but also no one was talking about it it was not marketed well but just to throw it out there wandavision won quite a few awards it won the best show and elizabeth olsen won best performance all right, good for the MCU. Yeah. And Anthony Mackie won Best Hero, and then him and Sebastian Stan won Best Duo. That's good. So he oh, had Disney good. Plus. It was a good weekend for him. It's good. It's good. Also on the list is To All the Boys, Always and Forever, won Best Movie. It won over the new Borat movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, Promising Young Woman, and Soul. No way. It did. I mean, that's how you can tell who the voting audience of MTV Movie Awards is versus. I don't know Oscars if I'm more shocked else. that they won or more shocked that they still nominated like those other movies. I know, right? <laughs> they like give a nod to genuinely quality movies and then still hit them with To All the Boys. <laughs> to All the Boys. That was my best picture prediction, honestly. <laughs> it was robbed. Chadwick Boseman won for Best Movie Performance, so they were able to avoid Anthony Hopkins was not <laughs> able to pull through another surprise upset. Learned from well, That's good. Yeah. And then MTV Awards always has the best kiss category. Do you guys <laughs> want to guess who won it? Well, I'm Think looking back. at the script, so I know. Okay, well, you know. Alejandro, you don't know it. Throw it out there. Best kiss. Over this past year. Do I get options, or should I just go blind? Well, try it blind. I want to see if you can just try to think back through the year the whole year of teen related things best is it from to all the boys i've loved surprisingly not what you would you would think that they would do that but no it was actually outer banks no it was which i never saw did any of you guys watch that nope i think i saw like the first 20 minutes of the first episode and then gave up (laughs) i just remember the john b memes getting tossed around weird now, everybody has gotten cast for Knives Out 2. We got a bunch of cast updates. Uh, Dave Bautista, Janelle Monae, Edward Norton, Catherine Hahn, and of course, Daniel Craig is coming back. 
Are you guys excited for Knives Out too? I think it's very interesting because <laughs> um, it's like obviously we're only following uh, Daniel Craig's character and to see what the next murder mystery could possibly be. I just want to know how all these actors fit together because I don't know if Dave Bautista and Catherine Hahn are like related, like how the big family last time. Right. Yeah, I'm just more interested again to see a big mishmash of a bunch of famous actors. That's mm-hmm. always fun. So for that reason, I'm excited. We've talked a bit before on the show of our feelings of the actual movie. But yeah, I know I'm still excited to see what they'll do with it. I'm thinking it'll probably be more of a straightforward mystery rather than playing around with the genre like the original one was. No. You, you think, think they're so? gonna Ryan Johnson, he loves I mean, I mean it's not gonna be like game. completely straightforward, but it's not gonna be like they give us uh, pretty much the answer halfway through and then there's a twist at the end. I feel like it's gonna be more like Daniel Craig is actually solving this mystery instead of just there in the background saying a bunch of random things. <laughs> Talking about donuts <laughs> again. Yeah. It's it's interesting because like has Ryan Johnson ever done a sequel? Like he did Last Jedi, but he didn't do Force Awakens. So like he's never continued a story himself. So how do you keep playing with the story that you already finished? That's true. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, he does have just one basic character, so that's the one thing that's continuing, mm-hmm. and I guess just the genre as well. So yeah. technically, it's still like a new thing. Yeah, especially if he does go a different route and does a more straightforward murder mystery since that will subvert our expectations (laughs) him doing the normal thing is subverting expectations that's the ultimate subversion and also he like spent 10 years thinking about and working on writing knives out and so that whole time was spent working on that plot device of like turning the mystery genre on its head and this time he's got like two years to write it maybe he's been working on it and then pitching it and i don't know if he can come up with like a new new way to subvert the genre i feel like it'll be more a little bit more straightforward but he'll do something different just to make it fresh because he's not about just conforming to genre standards gotcha all right next we have nbc they announced that they will not air the golden globes in 2022 which is a result of the backlash they got the hollywood foreign press association for out of 87 members that they have not one of them is black and so they released a reform plan to say we're gonna be more inclusive and it was like a few years out that they were actually going to admit new members it was like an 18 month thing oh wow Mm -hmm. and so everyone was like that's not good enough so then people like tom cruise were sending back their golden globes nbc was like i'm not gonna air your thing even though they pay 60 million a year to air the golden globes can you guys believe that that's crazy that's crazy even though hey i thought they were big enough that they'd just get it I know. I'm surprised that that 60 million. Like, is that profitable? <laughs> How could they possibly? I don't know. Anyway, this year, they're not paying that much, and Golden Globes will not be airing. We don't know if they'll do a ceremony, but it will not be a big red carpet event, or at least not a mainstream one. Yep. And we've got our update on our 2021 draft. Uh, for those who aren't aware, I don't know if you're aware of this, Alejandro, but we did a draft two weeks ago where we each picked five movies that are coming out later this year. And whoever's five films collectively do the best at the box office wins. And so for an update, Ryan, you picked Jungle Cruise. And it was just revealed that Jungle Cruise will dual release on Disney+. Plus. Yes. So that could take away 
a big chunk. I don't think it's going to do that much damage because we've seen movies like Godzilla vs. Kong has also premiered uh, yeah. online and also at the box office and it's still killed. And this is, you know, it's going to be later in the year. More people will have their COVID shots. More people will be willing to go to the theater. And this is also premiere access on Disney+. Plus. So people are going to be weighing that decision of paying and watching at home or paying and going to the theater. I think more people will want to go to the theater anyway. So I think it will hurt a little bit, but not not too bad. Yeah, I'm hoping it won't do too much damage. But when I saw that, I was like, no, <laughs> why? But you also have an update for one of your films. Yeah. Bang Chi, they announced that they're going to shorten the window to 45 days, which is what other studios have done. But mm-hmm. Disney has held mm-hmm. off on that for a while. But yeah, after 45 days, I don't know if it's going to go to premium video on demand or straight to Disney Plus. I don't think they revealed that, but it will be a limited theatrical window for that film. So that could also have some impacts on the box office gross i think it'd be much film. more detrimental if it just went straight to disney plus instead of yeah. the premiere video on demand right yeah i think it'll take a little bit of a hit off of that just because i feel like that little because i mean 45 days that's going to give me a solid four or five six week weekends at the box office but that little uh collection that marvel movies can take at the end and they're like seventh eighth ninth tenth weeks where they can make like a million each week that could add up which would be unfortunate. But I don't, I'm not too worried still. I think my list is packing strong. I think I'll take it down, Ryan. I hope not. <laughs> Definitely have a stake in me winning. Yeah. Um, all right. For our box office breakdown for the week of May 14th to the 16th, Spiral from the Book of Saul got $8.7 million. I came out on top. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. I mean, that's what we said would happen. Yeah, we did. We didn't. I mean, it seemed obvious that since it's a premiere and it's a familiar property that it would come Mm -hmm. out on top. But also, this sort of seems like an underwhelming performance. Again, we're in pandemic times. But yeah, since we saw Mortal Kombat and Demon Slayer break 20 million, I was hoping this would at least get double digits. But yeah, but it's a horror movie and it's May. And usually saw movies come out in October where they can get more of a push with Halloween coming around. And Saw is more or less a dead property. It's not doing too great. The last Jigsaw movie that came out in 2017, I don't think that did very well. I thought this one would get a bit of a pickup because it actually has a star power. You know, it's got Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson. I thought that would push people to go see it, but apparently it's terrible. And if it's bad, people don't want to see a bad movie. I think it makes no sense that they wouldn't push it to October because more people could have seen it in October. Mm -hmm. It would do better in October. And like, it just felt like they were dumping it in in May. I think it was probably like burning a hole in their pocket, just sitting there not doing anything. So they just wanted to get rid of it so that whatever production company or whatever distributor was holding on to Spiral could go focus on other things in different time slots. Which is kind of sad because that was like Chris Rock. He wanted to do it. He approached them, didn't he, with the idea? He pitched it, yeah. And he produced it, and he starred in it, and he really wanted to do well because he loves the Saw movies, I guess. But should have made a better movie, I guess. Tragic. Tragic in indeed. Second place for the weekend, we had Wrath of Man with three point seven million. That was number one last week with eight point one million. So it did sort of follow the path that nobody mm-hmm. did earlier. And again, it, it did have the star power of Jason Statham, so that's not too big mm-hmm. of a surprise. And it did okay with the drop. It was a little more than 50%. So it wasn't yeah. as terrible as the Demon Slayer Mortal Kombat 
<laughs> uh, second week drops. So yeah, but I figured it would drop a little bit with Spiral coming out. I mean, eight eight point one last weekend is what we predicted two weeks ago. If you're a casual listener, uh, so we figured it would do just a little bit better than Demon Slayer and uh, what was hanging on Raya or Godzilla. And so or no, Mortal Kombat. It was right, Mortal yeah. Kombat. We thought it would do better than those two, and it did. I mean, we we called it. After that was Those Who Wish Me Dead, which is the Angelina Jolie film. It had a dual release on HBO Max, and it made $2.8 million at the box office, which is devastating. Yeah, not great. No. You can't really blame it too much on the HBO Max release because mm. we saw these other films do well. I just think it was a case of not many people heard of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was sort of dead on arrival. Yeah. Uh, Demon Slayer, Mugen Train got $1.77 million. Ray and the Last Dragon got 1.72 million in its 11th week and has now passed Tom and Jerry domestically. It has 46 million versus Tom and Jerry's 45 million. Not bad. And so Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong got 1.4 million, which beat out Mortal Kombat with 1.3 million. So we definitely a front-loaded film, Mortal Kombat. No one else is going to see it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's about to come off HBO Max 2. Yeah even funnier that it'll only be in theaters but then people still won't go to see it it'd be interesting if the drop was less than usual because it comes off hbo max and so maybe slightly more people would go see it than they would have had it stayed so it'd be interesting if the drop was smaller than we predict but i think it'll fall off it'll it's already off the top five and i think it might even fall off the, the, the top 10 even though there's nothing major new this week this just is hanging on at the bottom by a thread but with nothing coming out this next week for our box office prediction, uh, Spiral will probably hold at the top around the same that Wrath of Man made this week with maybe $4 million. It's going to be a pretty disappointing weekend at the box office. It will, but then the, the next weekend, we mm-hmm. will finally get to our real summer movie season because A Quiet Place 2 and Cruella is coming out. Oh, wow. Yes. So those are some big films, and A Quiet Place 2 is in theaters only. Which I think is technically the first like major release mm-hmm. that is strictly theaters only, and it's not. Well, I think it is because it's Paramount, so it will play for forty five days in theaters uh-huh. only, and then go to Paramount Plus. But yeah, it'll be the first time we see a film, a major film, finally land only in theaters. Yeah. So we'll see if it can entice people to show up. Also, good be because the first A Quiet Place was very popular, so it's not something that people don't want to see and aren't excited for yeah it'll be it'll be a fun week to talk about finally some good box office numbers for us to discuss instead of the the weak numbers that have been pulling for the last year exactly and hopefully that'll lead to a bigger and better summer movie summer movie season all around Mm -hmm. now it's time for our main discussion about the tom holland spider-mans of course we're going to start off with spider-man homecoming which was directed by john watson written by him and a buttload of other people it made 880 million dollars worldwide which is the third highest grossing spider-man what do you guys think is this do you think this is better than far from home well i think we will agree on that but alejandro you wanted to talk about this (laughs) film so pop off about it i personally like it better than far from home uh and it's one of my favorite spider-man films uh of all of them i think that like uh you know tom holland wasn't introduced in this movie he uh, was introduced beforehand but um this being his like first film i think it was really 
uh, important that he like make his Spider-Man different. And I thought that it was, they did a pretty good job of that. And I know that like a lot of the times people don't like the changes made to characters that they've, you know, grown up and loved and they have a certain viewpoint of how they should be uh, portrayed. But I think barring like maybe one or two instances, uh, for the most part, the changes that they made for the character to update him were like solid in my opinion. Gotcha. What were those changes specifically, do you think? I think, like, um, the the big thing that I know a lot of people got hung up on was, like, the, and it became, like, a joke, was, like, the updating of Aunt May, so she was, like, a believable age for an aunt, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, usually she's portrayed as, like, more of a grandma than, than an actual aunt, and um, to see her played by Marissa Tomei, who I believe got the job from Robert Downey Jr.'s recommendation uh because like the two had dated before and they remained close friends um i think she was like instantly uh relatable as like an aunt um just like doing her best and and they really captured their kind of like home life well i think that uh the update to um his like support group like all of his friends around him was really cool because you know it it usually is just like Harry Osborne, who's like this super rich kid that's like unobtainable and why would he be friends with mm-hmm. uh, Peter Parker or like Mary Jane Watson, who is like uh, the most popular girl at school and, and they end up dating. But like to have uh, Michelle or MJ and then like Ned and make them more like outcast or, or like down to Peter's level uh, gave him like a more believable a close circle of friends and so I think those things made me feel like um someone who had recently graduated high school I was able to attach myself to that portrayal of a high school character um than the other ones Mm -hmm. definitely yeah that's a great point I hadn't thought too much about that like the update of because yeah we don't have Harry Osborne at all in this Mm -hmm. so Ned is the stand-in for that but their sort of dynamic is much more similar to what you would expect for Peter, who's supposed to be right that nerd. He's awkward. He's not the best kid in school who's going to be hanging out with like the richest kid and the most popular girl. So yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And in Homecoming particularly, right, they made the choice to have the love interest be Liz, who was sort of like a popular girl, head of SGA or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Michelle really is in that outcast role, who Peter doesn't even notice. Um, but I also sort of like that angle on it as well. And they talk about it more in Far From Home, but something core to her character is her trying to, like, a self-imposed outcast in a way because she doesn't want to open up and get hurt in that way. Yeah. Um, and so that is a believable angle to her character as well. So... Yeah, I like that change. And I hadn't thought about it before you brought it up. But yeah, her his inner circle, the crew he runs with in high mm-hmm. school, definitely fits more. And definitely for the tone that they're going with, trying to make it more lighthearted, a John yeah. Hughes-esque yeah. comedy vibe, it certainly matches that really well. It's definitely got that sort of teen comedy movie kind of thing, but it's also very like modernized stylistically in the way they approach things, the comedy and a lot of the direction, a lot of the, the style that's going on with Peter and his suit. 
and things like that in the school and the humor around the high schoolers that are in the school, like the, the little uh, news videos, the morning news that they have and things like that, the different uh, styles of the prom or the homecoming. I mean, it's all very much like trying to appeal to the actual high school audience that is trying to portray, which I think I liked a lot, as opposed to like the Raimi movies where it's very much just trying to do an honest comic book adaptation of like the classic Spider-Man comics. It's more like appealing to the more modern ages and trying to put Spider like date him to a more modern appropriate setting. I will say though, they goofed. They goofed on the timeline. We oh. noticed this. We watched it with Ryan last night and we noticed it takes place in 2020. Yeah, the 8 yeah, years it just later doesn't make sense with a lot of stuff. And I don't know why that happened. It, like they had everyone was involved in that thing. I mean, Kevin Feige was still producing it. There's no reason for them to just happen to make a mistake yeah. in the timeline. There's also no did. need to include a specific number. Like they could have just said years ago. Like they didn't even have it's to also get true. the correct number. <laughs> but it's very weird. Yeah. I, I want them to release a specialized edition of Homecoming where that's the only change to it is that they fix the number. <laughs> Because they said it, well, they did the title card, and I don't know what's worse, if it would have just been in the title card, but then they also had it in the movie itself. Someone else brought up eight years. Michael Keaton ago. says eight years later. It's like, yeah, you, you, they knew that Avengers came out in 2012. I don't know what they, maybe they were thinking Iron Man, when Iron Man came out in 2008, they were trying to date it that way. Yeah. But they, they knew that Avengers, there's just so many people who are handling that script and looking at that script and going over it, and nobody stopped to think is eight years correct is that right <laughs> this seems like a lot editors the people who That's wrote funny. the title card there's just so many people i remember trying to like do so much complicated math to make eight years fit <laughs> i was like okay does avengers have to take place in 2012 i was like maybe it hasn't been that many years but there's like I think it straight up says it's 2012 multiple times in in Avengers, and then I think Vision references that it's 2012 in like Civil War. So I don't think it's yeah. possible. I think it's it definitely is. definitely 2012 because in Endgame when they go back in time, there's the big title card that says New York 2012. Oh yeah, that also, big that, numbers. That yeah, when they go mean, back in time. Yeah, they 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 did not help themselves after the fact to like damage control. <laughs> Crazy. Um, so going back to <laughs> that was the one complaint we've had the movie unforgivable the title card <laughs> timeline terrible exactly but what it did right this movie i thought was it had a really good arc for peter mm-hmm. in a way that i thought connected well with like you already mentioned Alejandro. so he was introduced in civil war and we got to see the beginnings of him and why he's doing this he's like yeah i want to protect the little guy if you have a power like i do and you don't do anything and bad things happen it's because of you so that's why he's out there doing this stuff. And then he gets a taste of action fighting against the other Avengers in the Captain America Civil War. And so in this film, I like that they gave him a motivation and a goal that was related to what we already saw him do in the MCU. So his whole reason for being in this film is just to become an Avenger. That's what he wants to do. And mm-hmm. in a way, he also wants to prove himself to Tony since he's a and he's like oh i know i've got these abilities i know what i can do no one else is recognizing it so he wants to prove himself as well and we see over time throughout the film he becomes more reckless he's taking out the baby monitor protocol uh (laughs) and going to dc and doing all these crazy things that 
and then of course with the fairy like putting other people in danger because he's trying to do this mm-hmm. on his own to show that he he can do it that he can be avengers level and that ends up of course in that great scene when tony pops out of the iron man suit that was a great moment mm-hmm. yeah and he tells him look you gotta stop doing this be like the neighborhood guy if you are nothing without the suit you shouldn't have it so he gets his fancy suit taken away and he ends up in the third act needing to rely on just his own wits his smarts the experience he already built up all just in his homemade suit so now he doesn't have all the ai tech with him and he has to go stop vulture Mm -hmm. and he could have chose not to because he was at the dance Vulture just threatened his life and his whole family, and he's there with Liz. He got the date. That's the other motivation he had, as just Peter Parker was just trying to get his date with his crush. And so he could just go in the dance, forget about it, turn the other way, but he doesn't because he knew that stopping Vulture was the right thing to do. He wasn't doing it for validation anymore, for Tony's approval, or to get brownie points to become an Avenger. He -hmm. just did it because... It was the right thing to do. And so that I thought was a really beautiful arc that he had over it. And of course, it's summed up in the end when he refuses the new Iron Spider suit and says, nah, I'm just going to stick to my neighborhood and watch out for the little guy again. Um, So I thought that was a really nice arc that he had. And it was woven in well with the rest of the MCU and with the origins of the character like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe when we saw him in Civil War. I thought it tied all that together in a believable way and an interesting way. Yeah. I think that the uh, Iron Man angle was always like a bit of contention because I remember like when the trailers were coming out, people were like, Iron Man's in the whole movie. This isn't even Spider-Man's movie. And I definitely think that the trailers presented that on purpose because obviously everyone loves Iron Man and and they love Robert Downey Jr. And if you have him, Mm -hmm. sell him. But I think when you actually watch the film and as time passes and like more people visit the film who don't remember the trailers, you can actually see him for like what he was used for. And and Mm -hmm. the amount of time he's on screen is uh, used wisely. And it's not he's not taking over Spider-Man's film. He's just he's in it to be that like cause of his um, eventual growth to take away the suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah i like how the way that they approached the idea of not including a huge backstory for spider-man because he's already introduced in uh what is it civil war yeah. and they use ned in the beginning of the movie as sort of uh, the audience asking questions for us and they have that sort of natural dialogue between the two of them because after he learns about spider-man he's asking the same questions that we're asking you know, how does the Spider-Man get his powers as compared to the other Spider-Men? It's the same way. It's bit by a spider. They don't go too much into it. And then he like asks him different things about his powers, asks him different things about what's going on in his life as Spider-Man. And that sort of like answers our questions without it just being Tom Holland explaining it to the audience. It's Tom Holland explaining it to Ned, who's representing the audience. Yeah. And I think that's just a strong way to sort of get that out of the way, get the narrative out of the way so we can focus on the story instead. So I kind of like that. And it's also nice having ned be someone who is with him as spider-man who we can talk to and sort of 
get out exposition as Spider-Man instead of him talking to himself. I think it's just like it's an easy way to write that off, but it works. It's also nice to have someone to talk to as Spider-Man. That's not Tony Stark or Happy, who are both sort of ignoring him in a way, and he's trying to do it on his own, but he still has Ned to help him by his side. I like that a lot. Yeah, they also had another way they got Spider-Man exposition across was introducing his AI, Mm -hmm. the unfortunately named Karen. (laughs) They couldn't foresee how that name would change uh, a few years after the film. (laughs) But that was also... Speaking to your point, Alejandro, of how people initially were skeptical about how prominent Iron Man would be in the film, and they were saying, oh, Spider-Man's just going to be Iron Boy Jr. or something like that. Yeah. The suit, which is certainly different from any other live-action iteration, I mean, the AI and the 500 different web variations, the instant kill mode, all that stuff certainly is different than what we've seen before. Mm -hmm. And I think... I like the inclusion of it because it is so central to his arc of he is in a way trying to be Iron Boy Jr. or at least just show that he can take on Avenger Avengers level threats and rise to the occasion. So with that suit, that's sort of a symbol for that. Once it gets taken away, he has to get back to his roots and just focus on being a hero of himself and not with all this other gadgets and whatnot. So that's why I like the suit and having all that tech involved with it but mm-hmm. that was just something else i noticed was like the inclusion of karen just felt like a strange way to one like explain those gadgets and then give him someone else to bounce off of when he's not talking with anyone else and then it was a weird way how they used the karen voice to also further the liz plot line of like him yeah, on her that was a little like, strange he's like should i should i tell her now's your chance one... kiss her Peter. <laughs> i know that was so crazy i was like why would she it's so funny why is he it falls right after it like that that bit still gets me <laughs> i think like um karen as like an ai is presents problems because then it's like okay that is just straight up iron man with jarvis um and whatnot but i believe that karen as like someone to just bounce things off of almost works because I know a lot of the times in the comics, like Spider-Man just talks to himself and like, that's an essential mm-hmm. thing to the character is that he talks so much, but it like doesn't translate well to movies. But I think when he's talking to her, it like helped. Um, and I, I believe that like, I know people were, we're saying, well, he doesn't need the suit, so uh, he doesn't need all the technology, so he doesn't need Karen anymore. But I, I, watching Far From Home, it's like he's going to get another AI anyways. We could have just kept Karen um, and had her apply to the same things that the other uh, um, AI applied to. That's true. And that also, as I was talking about the character arc and the growth that he goes through, I was wondering, and I couldn't decide, if at the very end when he gets that original suit back, if that like undermines the arc in a way because yeah i'm assuming if he gets that the same suit back karen would still be involved and all those other gadgets would be involved Mm -hmm. and i guess it's showing that i mean he does have a level of maturity now to where he can handle that stuff and use it in a way that is effective uh instead of again being sort of reckless with it like he's actually going to spend the time to learn how to use the suit but i was wondering if that totally just undermine the rest of it 
And there's a moment in Far From Home which also mirrors that of where he gives the whole spiel, be your own man, be your own hero, and then begins to construct a Iron Man-like suit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's the trap of being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because, like, in a vacuum, it ends with him being like, I don't need that suit. I'll just, like, sew my own one. And then he makes, like, a version of the homemade suit that's just, like, a little cooler looking. But you need him to go into Infinity War and do all these things. So we can't not give him back that Stark suit. Um, So that's mm-hmm. more, like, a problem of just the universe is, like, a character arc can end but not a hundred percent like it has to end with like a little edged out room to continue this is very true right some something else that i wanted to mention about homecoming which is a big highlight of the film is michael keaton as vulture absolutely Mm -hmm. phenomenal from him i remember watching it the first time in the very beginning the opening scene i was not fully on board but over time, I was like, this man is great in this role, and this character is so interesting. Uh, and they'd sort of, they can far from home, I think, muddled it a bit because they sort of went the same route. But I liked seeing in this film how the consequences of what has happened in the universe before, mm-hmm. what happened with Stark specifically, has produced new villains. Yeah. And yeah. that I thought was really cool to see. And the best part of this film i still think well there's two really great moments <laughs> one was certainly the reveal of tombs as liz's father yeah that was fantastic one. i remember in the theater people literally gasped yeah oh yeah. <laughs> i remember it cause that like it comes at the tail end of like such a nice and sweet montage of him uh preparing for homecoming that like i really enjoyed and i was so on board for like i don't know where we're going but i just really want to see peter go homecoming and the moment michael keaton opens the door like the life drained out of my face just like it drained out of tom holland's face yeah Such a it was moment. phenomenal it gave her a gravity to the movie too it was so lighthearted for everything and then now like he understands and we understand the connection that vulture has to him specifically and also to stark and the whole conversation in the car mm-hmm. as they're driving and Liz keeps talking and Vulture keeps putting the pieces together and we see Tom Holland sweating over there and we're like come on stop talking stop doing it you're gonna out him yeah and then when he's parked at the thing and it goes from red to green I love that uh, the lighting oh. with the oh it's fantastic yeah the stoplight it was so good so incredible he there's I mean talk a lot about Marvel films usually have bad villains Mm-hmm. Vulture is not one of them. Not no, Vulture's good. great. Uh, yeah, I need more Vulture. I'm so excited that they didn't kill him off and that they uh, saved him and we can see him return. It's so funny he's going to be in Morbius. Yeah, that's like... that was <laughs> Like of all the characters you could have put in there. The most shocking moment of that trailer. I remember thinking like, oh, I guarantee you Venom's going to show up at the end. But like to see, uh, of all people, Vulture to show up, like... There's there's so many other characters I would have listed before even considering him. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. All right, one other, the other best moment of the film I thought was when he was he went to go confront 
Vulger, and then they have their little spiel, which I also liked the way yeah. Vulture was talking about. And he had a point where he was saying people like Stark. I mean, he his whole thing was he sold weapons to essentially criminals around the world, and mm-hmm. that funded him and his lifestyle. He's all rich now, so that's they're sort of doing the same thing. And ultimately, people like Michael Keaton, like the Vulture, have to clean up the mess and get the table scraps. So Peter can empathize with that. That was another part of his character because he seems completely set now since he's an Avenger and he's part of the Stark field. So he's not struggling financially as much, Mm -hmm. or at least they don't show that. So that wasn't as strong i think as it could have been but there was still the empathy there i think of peter understanding where vulture is coming from in that sense of Mm -hmm. having the struggle and dealing with that so i like that conversation and then vulture brings a whole building down on peter (laughs) amazing that that boy survived i mean that looked rough and then there he is he's without that suit he's without any friends ned's not there stark's not there abby's not there and it's just him and he has to find it within himself to get out of the situation, to overcome. And the acting in that scene, Tom Holland pleading, like crying out for help mm-hmm. with no one around. I mean, the true panic that he was conveying there was amazing. Yeah. yeah, That was great acting. And then again, the great moment of him looking into the pond and seeing the mask and mm-hmm. half of it is his face and half of it is the Spider-Man. You're seeing... That he doesn't need to have any of the gadgets or try to mm-hmm. be an Avenger. He's not a hero because of the suit. He's a yeah. hero because of who he is. It has the Tony Stark voiceover. He says, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve it. Uh, I, I really liked it too. I think it looks really good like cinematically as he's lifting up the debris on top of him. He's pushing really hard and he's giving his all uh, as an actor and as the character. The thing that kills it for me, though, is right after you have that shot of him lifting it up and he's like pushing really, really hard, it like cuts to a wider shot that's all CGI and it has (laughs) the big AC unit and just goes bloop and he just like throws it over like it's nothing. (laughs) It's like, well, that didn't look as heavy as as you made it out to be in the last (laughs) shot. It was more of a mental thing than a physical thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then I, I do love the shot after that, though, of it cuts to Adrian Toomes and he's the vulture and he's standing on the billboard. And he has oh, the yeah. wings draped around him, and he's staring at Stark Tower. I thought that was really cool. I love that. Yeah, that's a poster shot. Yeah, I do love... The thing I love most about the Vulture in this movie is his character design. Is he just looks so cool, the way they did it, with like the, the metal wings and the feathers and the fans that are inside the wings and the eyes that like glare green. Yeah. makes him look really scary. That, with the sound design of the wings and of the theme, the Vulture theme. It works really well, and it makes him a much scarier villain than he could have been. Like he could have been kind of lame, but they really they went all out for Vulture, and I appreciate that. I agree. Yeah, for sure. Love that he's continuing. Like you guys said, he didn't get killed. I was worried when I first saw the film when he was doing the bomb thing that oh my god he's gonna get killed from this. But thankfully, mm-hmm. they didn't do it. We're gonna see more of him. Final thoughts on Homecoming? Would anything else you guys want to add? Better than I thought it would be when I first watched it. I remember going in with not very high expectations, and I really liked it. Yeah, it's. it's I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is. I think the third time I've seen it all the way through again. 
Mm-hmm. And it's still good. It's still just a fun yeah. ride the whole way through. So what would you guys give this out of five taser webs or whatever it would be? <laughs> um, um, yeah, probably, probably four taser webs. I would agree. Mm-hmm. I would say four. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I'm oscillating between four and 4.5. Okay. Because mm-hmm. originally, like, if you had asked me before we watched it, I would have said four. But because in my main gripe was the third act, like the plane fight scene, I thought was really not good. <laughs> like when yeah. I first saw that the first time, I was like, that kind of sucks. It was kind mm-hmm. of a bad ending. But I'm more lenient with it now, thinking through all the other stuff and, you know, the big character arc and the way that it just worked so well. And it was amazing that, like, I don't think we give enough credit for the way they were able to make everything just work. Having the essence of spider-man be conveyed well but then also have him situated in the marvel universe that we've already established i thought they balanced that out really well in this film mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm gonna give it a 4.5 i'm gonna go all there. right you really liked it i did i did now the other movie that tom holland made as spider-man was spider-man far from home it came out in 2019 also directed by john watts and it grossed $1.132 billion, which is the highest grossing Spider-Man movie of all time. What are your guys' initial thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home? Alejandro, take um, it away. I remember uh, we watched it, and uh, <laughs> immediately after leaving the theater, I was just like so... I was still processing so much of it, because so much like happens. Like There's so much mm-hmm. implications for the future that it's just hard to sit with the film as a movie in general but i remember yeah. as like the weeks went by i like started getting a little sour on it because there were just some things that i felt betrayed homecoming like how you mentioned a little mm-hmm. bit earlier that like vulture is such a cool concept as a villain and and mm-hmm. the way he's created is is very uh interesting for the mcu but then mysterio is just that again and um it's it's that again but less uh informative like his whole his whole gripe is that tony stark called his technology barf (laughs) yeah it's not like i have a you know struggling job i can't feed my kids like like vultures has empathy like uh Mm mysterious is a bit and i also feel that um there's just a lot that we lost by leaving New York. And I also feel like Sony was so obsessed with uh, Spider-Man leaving New York. Like they constantly teased that in previous carnations of Spider-Man. And then they finally get to do it. But him in other countries, like the fish out of water, the night monkey bit, like those, (laughs) those just feel like things that the executives thought were funny and like forced the writers to write rather than them, like creating a funny atmosphere i i know that the extended edition they came out with months later and i went to see it and all it is is it includes a montage of him of his to-do list before he gets on the plane and then there's like one extra scene before the big third act finale but that to-do list montage is some of my favorite spider-man moments and it was cut from (laughs) far from home yeah i did i also had a lot of gripes with 
the way that Mysterio was depicted because I'm very picky about that villain in particular. Like, let me see if I can show you guys. I have, I actually have a Mysterio oh, poster on my wall <laughs> that my brother got me because of how much I love the idea of the character. The whole idea behind him is that he's just a special effects guy who just wants to commit crimes and he's like trying to prove that he is a good actor and can actually fool people and do these things. And they they got that part right. But the entire idea of him being like, yeah, his motivation because he just hates Tony Stark is really stupid. It should have been it should have been either they give him a really good backstory or it should have been even dumber where he's just like a stuntman who wants to prove he's a good stuntman. Yeah, like good visual effects artist. And I just feel like they didn't nail that in a good way. And I mean, I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal was a good pick as an actor, but if they had written the character a bit better, it would have worked well because I remember playing the spider-man 2 video game on playstation 3 and there's a moment where it's not in the movie but they added a part where mysterio is robbing a gas station and he goes to fight mysterio mysterio like does this big dramatic moment where he's like finally our fight for to the death for the century and all that and you like play spider-man you see like his health bar it like loads up and then another health bar loads up and then another health bar loads up and you're about to fight him and you charge him and you hit him and all three health bars drop immediately and he's down <laughs> And it's so funny. And they could have done something like that where he's just this guy just trying to be a special effects wizard and prove that he's better than everybody. But it, in the end, he's kind of lame. But they made him some kind of weird Tony Stark fanatic just to like hit home the idea that Tony's legacy is both good and bad. That kind of thing. Yeah. They try to connect that theme to it. And it could have been done better. And I, I just didn't like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember too much of the movie because I haven't seen it since mm-hmm. I saw it in theaters because I think I saw it twice like one with you Alejandro and then I think yeah. I went with my mom as well um, and I remember feeling just fine walking out of it both times I mean it kept me entertained it was enjoyable they still keep the lighthearted tone mm-hmm. Tom Holland's still great in the role I still like a lot of the comedy that they include so you feel good while you're watching it, but then, yeah, as you think about it more afterwards, you're like, wait a minute. Half of that film was just them doing the same thing again. Like, I think that mm-hmm. it was now him living in the shadow of Tony Stark, and it's about, ooh, who's going to be the next Iron Man? Which is essentially a rehash yeah. of what Homecoming arc, his arc was in there. Mm-hmm. And they still have him really tied to other figures in the MCU with Nick Fury and Happy Hogan getting a bigger role there. And you guys already brought up the villain is just, again, a rehash of the vulture. Dylan, you brought up the thing of how they keep trying to include this idea of his legacy is both good and bad, Mm -hmm. which I like, but they never, like, they always flirt with mentioning how it is sort of bad, but then they never really dive into that too much. Like, there's much worse things that Tony Stark has done than name something Barf. Barf, yeah. Like, that's not, not, (laughs) like, like, it's not horrible. Or, like, uh, what's his name? The guy who works for Obadiah who got yelled at and fired. Yeah. Like, there's definitely worse things than than the fact that Obadiah yelled at him. You mean mean Ralphie from A Christmas Story? (laughs) Yes, yeah. Uh, this is so weird yeah like they chose these people the the worst thing we've ever attached to tony stark is that like one of his bombs almost killed uh scarlet witch and quicksilver and it's like and it's like it didn't but it killed their parents but like everything else has been like oh he's bad but we're not going to give you too much explanation on 
why he's bad because we don't want you to actually feel like he's bad. So, right. which I wish they would lean into more because he they he already has us. We all already like him. Yeah. But if you leaned into more of like, yeah, he was. Remember how much of a schmuck he was pre Iron Man, like pre his growth yeah. in that film, and then even after that, he still did a lot of bad things. It's so also go ahead. Even more than just copying the vulture, it is for Mysterio 100% copying Syndrome in oh, yeah. Incredibles, <laughs> like to a T, like perfectly, mm-hmm. and it's it's too much. I don't like that. I'll this is not original at all. Um, the other two, like the monsters that uh, Spider-Man fights, like uh, Molten Man and Hydro Man, and then I don't know if they called the Dirt Monster Sandman or the Air Monster, whatever they called them, but all of those people could have been like other crew members from Mysterio's team mm-hmm. in similar costumes. And instead of just illusions. Yeah, instead of just completely illusions. Because then the rest of his team just look like background characters. Like they're just extras. And and yeah. I don't care about any of them. Even though one of them like came up with the, the storyline and the other one like I can't even remember what the other people did. I just know one of them came up with the storyline of, of Mysterios from another universe, which I also hated that they were like, oh, it's the multiverse. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they keep teasing that. Do that a lot. They do that so much. <laughs> yeah. In the WandaVision thing, I'm still mad about that. Oh, yeah. WandaVision. Like, it, it's so funny because it's not like they're not going to do the multiverse. It's like Doctor Strange is literally doing the multiverse. So these all could have been building to that moment instead of just jokes. Yeah, frustrating. What were some of the other things that you had problems with it, Dylan? Because we're last night when we were talking about it, you were like, "Yeah, it's bad." And I was like, "But how?" I haven't seen it in two years, so I'm like, I was like trying to rack my brain. All I was gonna watch it today, but I didn't have a chance to, and I've been trying to rack my brain about what I really, really didn't like about it. I know Mysterio was a big reason I hated it. Is like what they did to that character because I am so passionate about Mysterio because he's such a funny villain. I agree. And I just feel like it was weird with the whole Nick Fury thing about how he was a scroll. Yeah. I thought that was kind of strange how they threw that in there just for fun. I thought it was weird. Just the whole dynamic of like Peter getting caught changing and like the one guy takes a picture of him, oh, that whole storyline, and then he like tries to bomb him. With the glasses, <laughs> the Edith, Edith, yeah. yeah. I like the idea of the Edith glasses. I think that is kind of a good red herring. Yeah, like to try and just throw in there about like something that's super important, but it's they're just glasses, and like he's just trying to get them back, I guess. But there's just something wrong with the whole idea of, of repeating what you did before, not adding adding anything new to it. Just it's the same thing, but this time Tony's dead. And I just wish they had done something different with Mysterio. I wish, like, I like the idea of trying to incorporate Tony's death as being something that's really powerful and meaningful to Peter because that's, it's true. Like, that was a really big part of his journey. Uh, it was Tony Stark and Tony Stark dying. It's a huge impact on him. But the way they did it was just a little weird. It was just like Spider-Man feels sad because Iron Man is dead and he doesn't know what to do. And now he has anxiety. Here's Mysterio. <laughs> Mysterio <laughs> wants to be the next Iron Man. But it was also like they somewhat sat with the grief that Peter had with it. But then it was also like, oh, now he's trying to find get with another girl. And now he wants to go on vacation. Like yeah. he was still off doing just like fun teen things, yeah. mm-hmm. which is fine. But it didn't feel like there was enough. Like they wanted to do it both ways, but leaned heavily on the more lighthearted comedy way 
instead mm-hmm. of yeah. doing enough with the grief that Peter had following his death. I think. Yeah. And I, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. Um, I think the one thing that they had in their pocket that was like evolving the story and was like a nice arc um, was the introduction of his spider sense. And like, cause he didn't mm-hmm. have that in homecoming. I mean, there are like people point to some moments where it's like, he only could have known if he had the spider sense in homecoming, but it's like directly referenced here. But then they call it the Peter tingle. And it's like such a, yeah. <laughs> and I, I hate it so much. And it's like, if you could have just like, let it go and and call it the spider sense and not make it a running bit then i would be cool mm-hmm. with how he needs to use it to be able to fight mysterio because that's a good moment but him him going peter tingle don't fail me it's like stop please <laughs> please get out of here yeah that was a little goofy one really good moment i thought though was the mysterio scene when he did get put in the illusion and that was uh, a yeah. visually it was compelling that was fun to see. Oh, yeah. And I also liked the connection that they had with the gravestone and then him rising up out of it. I was mm-hmm. wondering, I was expecting that they were going to have Uncle Ben be there. Because they really don't talk about Uncle Ben a lot in the Hall oh, yeah. films. Which I think That's is a me. side effect of we've seen him mm-hmm. so often before um, and done just perfectly in the Raimi ones. And so that's why they have Tony Stark standing in with that. I still think it's a little weird that they haven't referenced him like hardly at all i don't think his name has been spoken yeah but the inclusion of like this figure that peter really cared about that's no longer mm-hmm. here rising up out of the grave that was really interesting i thought so that whole moment was cool and there was something about the train right again i haven't seen it in two years it was yeah. it was the fact that he gets out of the illusion and nick fury's there and he's telling nick fury everything and he gives nick fury something like that the glasses the glasses and then it turns out nick fury is like it's yeah, yeah. still part of the illusion and he's yeah, mysterio yeah. and then there's then the train hits him out of nowhere and i like i think i like the idea of the scene because of course if you're gonna have mysterio you have to have a big illusion scene where peter gets tricked because that's what his draw is that's his only power and i like the idea of doing that i like the certain imagery they used but i didn't think the effects were as good as they could have been yeah i just fully like about halfway through that whole sequence i just kind of leaned into the idea that it's just animation it's not trying to be real life it's just trying to be like an animated sequence yeah but there were moments where it's like this might be scary for peter in the moment but it's not really scary for me and i know it's an mcu movie and they're trying to be family friendly but they could have really made it genuinely like frightening like a moment of of like actual like oh look at this power that that mysterio has to cast these illusions that are genuinely terrifying but they aren't that scary in the moment they're just scary for peter because he's the character and it's written in the script that it's scary and i just feel like it could have that sequence could have been more shocking in a way but i like the imagery that they did use i thought that was well like storyboarded well well thought out yeah i really like my favorite illusion was when he takes his head off and it's like a snow globe and yeah stuck in it that's that's probably my favorite um, that is cool. And then I feel that like uh, the resolution of him uh, trying to trick him one more time where he's like stops him with the spider sense with the bullet. Uh, that mm-hmm. was cool. But then um, to like have him die, but he was able to record half of what Peter says to make it look like it was all Peter's fault um, mm-hmm. from the beginning. That just felt like, 
you could have put that time in to make sure that you don't die instead of to yeah. make sure that you call him a murderer. Well, I'm like 90% certain he's not even dead. Yeah. My only like, thing that would be like, oh, he has to be dead is like Jake Gyllenhaal notoriously was so against superhero movies because he was so against the idea of signing on for multiple films. So him mm-hmm. signing on as Mysterio was like a monumental thing. But then when he died, I was like, I guess they I guess they said to him, you will only be in one movie, we promise. Uh, so I hope he comes back. But also, that's why he didn't want to be Spider-Man, really. And that's why he didn't want to be Doctor Strange, really. So I wouldn't be surprised. I think he also tried to be Batman and he didn't want to sign on for multiple films. That would have been a weird Batman. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I do like, I think one last thing I want to say about it is I like how in Spider-Man Homecoming, he says no to the Iron Spider suit. And then in uh, Infinity War, he earns it like in that moment, like he has to have it to live. And that's why Tony gives it to him. But it is kind of earning it in that moment. And then he makes him an Avenger. And of course, he's wearing it when he dies in Infinity War. And when he comes back in Endgame, he's still wearing it, of course. But then you see like months later in Far From Home or weeks or months later, he's still wearing that suit rather than his suit because yeah. it's like his connection to Tony and he's still kind of holding on to it as best as he can. And he has that suit until I think it's stupid that they give him the like, I like the night monkey suit. Yeah, but I th- I feel like it would have been cooler if he kept that iron spider suit until he gets bested with it. Yeah, like if he beat him with it and then he had to make his own suit and he became sort of his own superhero through that way instead of just giving him a cool stealth suit. Which, I mean, I like the suit, but it just kind of diminishes the idea of the arc that that suit carries as a story piece. It's kind of, yeah, it's a little bit unnecessary. It's just more to sell toys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. It got very obvious that that's what was going on there. Um, okay, so any other final thoughts? I do want to say I, I like the direction that they're about to take this in. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen, at least in live action, anything where his identity has been revealed. I'm hoping and praying that they don't just play it off as a joke and make yeah. it like, oh, nothing really happened. Like, I hope the central conflict of the film is somehow related to now his identity is revealed mm-hmm. and we get more to the roots of him trying to balance being Spider-Man and now he's being his own Spider-Man, right? Hopefully it'll be less dependent on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hopefully the mm-hmm. villain won't be Stark-related. And hopefully, yeah, we'll get to see more of him as Peter just trying to balance these things. Maybe yeah. getting a job, trying to pay for things, going on dates with MJ, that sort of stuff, while also dealing with now being outed as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping they really do well with that premise, but who knows? We'll, we'll, we will see. But yeah. any other final thoughts you guys want to throw out there? No, I think we, I covered everything I wanted to say. Yeah. All right, what is um, your... We never mentioned Flash. Of- I thought he was a cool... Bully. oh yeah i really like flash <laughs> he, he people like, always criticize flash because he's like a tiny guy and in the comics he's huge yeah and they're always like wow why would they cast uh tony revelori as flash he's he's not you know he takes beefy yeah but it's it's he's definitely like the modern bully yeah he's very much more of a verbal assailant <laughs> he's more what harry osborne would be with Peter parker like they wouldn't be friends it's he's like, yeah like classism <laughs> mm-hmm but yeah, yeah. I all think right. What is your rating out of, out of five, five? Peter Dingles. Peter Dingles. Yeah. <laughs> Go for that. Uh, I give it. I give it. Oh, I guess I'll give it three. I wanted to give it two and a half, but because I do, 
like when I'm watching it, it's okay. If I don't, if I don't really think about it, I can like have a good time still yeah. with the action, and I do still like the characters that are in the story. And I like Jake Gyllenhaal, even though I don't like what they did with Mysterio. So I'll give it the extra half and make it three Peter Tingles. There you go, Alejandra. Um, I will probably give it two and a half. Um, I'd Ooh. give the extended edition three though. <laughs> <laughs> I will also be pretty generous because I, again, I have not seen it in years. So I'll go ahead and sit it with a three. Three Peter Tingles. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, that's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxoffishow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. We'd like to thank Alejandro for coming out today and talking Spider-Man with us. Thank you, Alejandro. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to have you. Uh, Have a good rest of your day. We'll see you guys next week.